Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's word is truth and your questions matter. I am your host, Jonathan Romero, and we are in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be focusing on verses 3 and 4 today. Verses 3 and 4, but we will begin, actually I will begin from verse 17 of chapter 4. I want us to get in context of what's going on, what's happening, what Paul is saying, and what Paul is saying actually in verse verses 17 all the way through the end of that chapter in chapter 4 is the whole the new life that we have in Christ because we have been born again now we are a new creation we are a new creature the old self has died the new self is alive <clears throat> and then he tells us this is how you are to act this is how you to live so it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So like I said, we will be focusing on verses 3 and 4. So let me reread chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, all the way till the end of 4, and we'll dig in. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named, even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no foolishness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So yeah, so in verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 5, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So there are three things that he lists here, and he says this must not be named among you. And the three things is sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. So what are these things that it must not even be named among the Christians? Well, first we are given sexual immorality. So the question would be, what is that? What is sexual immorality in this sense? Well, we are told that we are to flee from sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So you see what's going on here. There's a defiling, right? There's a throwing the holiness into the trash when that happens. Right? You defile yourself, you become impure, which is a straight lie if you say that you have Christ in you, if, if you say that you have been born again, right? Which is why God calls us to be holy, for he is holy. Now, the aim is to be holy. The aim is to flee from all of this. Now, as the days go on, we are to be more sanctified today than we were yesterday. And that goes along with the things that we struggle with, right? The sins that we truly know that it is difficult to stay away from. Some of us is uh, being sexually immoral. Others is uh, crude joking. Others is anger. For others is lying. Uh, it, it would be, it is difficult to say that you are 100% clean. So, yeah, so in 1 Corinthians 6.18, that's what we are told, that a person commits a sin, so every other sin that is not sexual immorality is outside the body. But the sexually immoral sins against his own body. You're causing yourself to be impure now. You're no longer holy. You dirty yourself. But we must understand that sin is what put Christ on a cross. Your sin. My sin. Right? If we truly say that we have been saved from our sins, well, our sins wasn't just swept under the cosmic rug of creation. But instead, Christ put that upon himself. 
And this is why with this new life that we have, we are to flee from that completely. We are, that should not even, it says, must not even be named among you. And then it says, as is proper among saints. So what he's saying is, this is your mark. This is what sets you apart from all the others, is that you abstain from being sexually immoral. Right? And sexually immoral could be many things within that realm. Right? Fornication. Sex before marriage. Homosexuality. All these things defy the very nature of marriage and what God instituted marriage to be and also how we are to use our sexual organs, right? He tells us that these are a gift. These are a good thing, but it must be properly used and the way it's done is through marriage. And biblical marriage is actually between a man and a woman. The first marriage was Adam and Eve, and Adam was the man, and Eve was the woman, and both became one flesh. And even Jesus gave that example as well. The fact that man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's biblical marriage, right? All these things causes ourselves to sin against our own body. So it says the sexually immoral in 1 Corinthians 6.18, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So that's what happens when you uh, become sexually immoral. And then it says all impurity. So what is impurity? Well, the answer, I got it from gotquestions.org. And it says, impurity is the condition of being defiled in some sense. The word impurity can also refer to the contaminant itself and an unwanted substance that makes something unclean. The concept of purity and impurity are important and because it's the Bible's presentation of holiness. So this is what sets us apart. This is what makes us holy, right? If we are born again and God calls us to be holy, that means we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to aid us, to guide us. And then he tells us we are to be abstained from sexual immorality. And also he says now impurity, right? That should not even be named among us. The gospel transforms and makes us clean. So if we agree with that and we understand that we must understand that we are to please the Lord in this way, that we are going to obey his commands and his command is to be pure, right? Causes to purify ourselves and that's through the washing of God's word, right? We are to admonish one another in God's word, right? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we will begin to grow and learn more about God, more about ourselves and how we are to please God. How can we please God? <clears throat> and then he goes on to say, or covetousness, right? So covetousness is the, the 
word is defined to as to lust after or to long for with great desire, right? So the commandments, we're told you shall not covet, right? When we covet, we are now desiring someone else's stuff, someone else's property, someone else's wife, maidservant, anything that is not yours, that you're desiring, you're basically saying you should have that and it's shame on God that he didn't give it to you. So now you covet. Now you desire and want something that you don't have. Something that is not even yours. It's owned by somebody else. And that also should not be named among us. It says, as is proper among saints. So we must understand that this is not Christian. This is not Christ-like to be sexually immoral, to be impure, to covet, right? Because these very things is what Christ saved us from, right? Sin caused death in our lives. Where there was sin, death came right, right after, right? Adam sinned, and because he sinned, he was given death. For the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> if sin is how you work, sin is your job, then what you are owed is death. It's yours. You've earned it. But our sins were put on Christ and he died on the cross and he says as far as the east is to the west that's how far our sins will be casted away so we must understand that we must be holy and this is one way is to abstain from the things that God says this should not even be named among you he says And then we keep reading in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So now there's a, a contrast. Remember, this, this is Paul's language, how he gives one point, and then he gives the contrast to that point. And here, this is one instance where he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Here's the contrast. This is how you should be. This is how you should speak. Because we speak thanksgiving. We thank God for everything and anything in our lives. When we pray to God, we give thanksgiving we offer up thanksgiving right in the psalms 116 verse 12 it says what shall i render to the lord for all his benefits to me i will lift up the cup of salvation right i will say thank you lord and i ask for more so these are appropriate sins of the tongue Right, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. So there's another three. And 
if you remember in Matthew, or if you ever read in Matthew, chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus tells us, It is not what enters the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And in verses 17 and 18, he says, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So Jesus was making a point of the heart of man and how wicked it is. And if we say we have the Holy Spirit, if we say that we have been born again, then we have been given a heart that now desires to obey the Lord, a desire uh, to want to obey his commands and do what is right and say what is right. So, one of the first things that the Lord sanctifies within a believer is his language. Have you ever noticed the way you speak is not the way you used to speak when you were of the world before you were born again? We have to be reminded of that reality because sometimes we can look at our lives and feel like we're on a plateau, but if we remember right, we were vile in our language before Christ because anything that we would say wouldn't be of thanksgiving to God, which is why he gives that contrast in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 5. Gives that contrast that we are to be thankful. We, ha we should have a speech of thanksgiving. Listen to what it says in James chapter 3. James is speaking on taming the, the tongue, right? And he begins with those who aspire to be teachers, right? Those who are uh, teachers and want to be teachers. He, he gives this warning and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle up his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So as so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things are not to be so. Does a spring put forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is saying here is that you're no longer the spring that puts forth salt water. Now you are a freshwater spring. So how dare us put forth salt water when we are not to be putting forth salt water? What I mean is our speech, our manner of speech ought to be changed drastically, completely, that we're no longer cursing people. Now we're blessing and thanking God. Christians, we are to be the most content people on earth. We must understand what we have in Christ is much greater than everything we can have on, on earth. You see, God created the world and everything that's in it. Then we take it, we start making things and saying, this is what being rich is and what God is saying, no, I'm what is rich. You have me, you'll be rich. So if you have Christ, you are rich. You see, we are to be humble. We are to be respectful and kind, but also firm on God's word and bold uh, in speaking truth because God speaks truth boldly, right? Sometimes when we read God's word, there's some things he says that we uh, want to disagree with. But if God speaks truth and there is no lie in him, then we must take that into account that I may not understand it. I may want to disagree with it, but God speaks truth and his ways are much higher than my ways. And I will obey. I will trust God because he is sovereign. He's in complete control of his own creation. And he is the one who made the rules. And the rule is that we are to be holy just as God is holy. And he's given us a way how we are to strive to be holy, and that is through God's word. He tells us how to do it. One example is here. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Also, uh, fleeing from sexual immorality and also all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among us. This is not us anymore. So, I would say reread God's word, and especially this area here, because... Our speech can tell, the speech of a man can tell a lot about him or her, right? How they speak and how they talk. Language can be used in a good way, can be used in a bad way. And God uses the language of man, right, to proclaim his gospel, right? He tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he tells us that, 
Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ? Because even tells us in verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To preach is to use your voice authoritatively, the good news of God. Right, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh, to take upon himself the sins of his people, that he may rescue them from the wrath of God. And how did he do that? Well, he did that on a cross. He was put on a cross for our transgressions, and the wrath of God that was supposed to fall on us fell on Christ fell on the Lord Jesus, and on a cross, he said, it is finished. That means Jesus drank the cup of wrath of God. And then after he finished the last drop, he said, it is finished. It is completed. I have fulfilled what I've come to do. And that is save his people from their sins, right? In Matthew, that's what it tells us. The beginning of Matthew, we are told the reason why his name was going to be Jesus. The angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. So my question will be, do you believe that? Or do you not believe that? Right? God tells us that his word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword able to cut through bone marrow, even down to the soul says it's transforming it transforms the soul uh, Paul says it this way that the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation that means this is God's way of saving his people is through the proclamation of his gospel you see Jesus not only died on a cross but he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave fulfilling prophecy and also proving that he is God. And now he is seated at the right hand of God until all his enemies are put as a footstool for him. And then the last enemy we we're told is death. So we're not to fear death because it seems like death is reigning now. Everyone dies, right? We should fear more of the wrath of God than death himself if you're a Christian you see you you understand the, the you see we should fear the wrath of God God's holiness because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge you see we are not to fear death because as Christians when we die we will be present with the Lord Scripture tells us to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's found in Scripture. And again, the question would be, do you believe it? I would say, keep reading Scripture. Be sanctified by it. Sanctify yourselves as the Holy Spirit sanctifies 
you from the heart because you're desiring to do good is because the Holy Spirit is putting that in you. God is doing that within you. He's weaving out your sins and now he is producing fruit. This will be the last part in Galatians chapter 5. We are told, but I say in verse 16 of chapter 5 in Galatians, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other but keep you from doing these things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sen sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So there it is. That's the mandate. Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? If you're not, I would challenge you to begin. Ask God to help you. Because these are the marks that you have truly been born again. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero.